0: been for quite a while now so we're trucking through mark uh, we're doing mark chapter 11 uh, verses 20 through 33 today and so for those of you who are new or visiting we basically take a big section of scripture and we and we just work our way through it that's what we've been doing since uh, we started eight months ago um, this this um, particular sermon is called faith forgiveness and the freedom of truth freedom in truth there's a lot going on in this in this big passage that we're going to read today. Um, and so we're gonna try to unpack it. Uh, so this is a little bit about faith I wanted to just share as my wife said Ryan Dieter and Courtney uh, got married this weekend and it was a beautiful ceremony out in um In Ohio in the countryside and they had faith that my three and a half year old son would be a good ring bearer uh, and would walk across the back of the field I mean, it was a long walk. It was a, it was a good quarter mile. Uh, no, walk across the back of the field and then walk up to the, to the front and actually deliver the ring, holding the hands of the flower girl. I don't know if I had quite as much faith in him as they did, uh, so I gave one of the groomsmen a pack of gummy lifesavers, and right. I introduced Jameson to him beforehand. I said, if you walk all the way around here and get to, the, to that guy, he will give you those gummy lifesavers. And I tell you what jameson did a really good job. He had the the flower girl and he was basically just dragging her up And he got up there he walked right up to the guy and he's like boom, let's do it so Anyway, it was awesome Okay, so mark chapter 11 Uh, we'll start off in in verse 20 and they passed by in the morning They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots for those of you uh, who were here last This is the fig tree that jesus cursed on his way into the temple and as they're walking out It's already withered and peter remembered remembered what he said and said to him rabbi look The fig tree that you cursed has withered and jesus answered them Have faith in god Truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart But believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him Therefore I say to you I tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours Um, This fig tree was an interesting Parable that Jesus it was it was a real-life event but he used it as sort of a parable for what he was about to do If you remember last week we talked about he Jesus was walking along with the disciples um, Into into Jerusalem. He saw this fig tree and these fig trees in this region when they had foliage on them, that meant that they, even though it wasn't time for the figs to be ripe, they, if they had foliage on them, they had these little uh, buds that you could eat. Uh, and you could go on it. And If you saw a fig tree in the distance and it had leaves on it, you knew that you could walk up that fig tree and, and pull some of the buds off of there and eat them. They were like little green almonds, basically. And if you remember, last time Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem, he saw that fig tree. He went over to get some of those little Green almonds and there weren't any there And so he cursed the tree Um, Jesus was saying To the disciples to us That Some of Well he was about to proclaim uh, What he was about to proclaim What he was going to do at the temple But what he was essentially saying about the fig tree It was there was foliage but there was no fruit There was foliage but there was no fruit There was the appearance of nutrition There was the appearance that if you went up to it You could get something to eat But when you got there, it wasn't there then he went if you recall to the temple and if you would show that image This is a sort of a rendition of the temple The temple was a massive beautiful edifice. We talked about it last week 35 acres big made out of white marble gold plated. It was absolutely luxuriant and opulent and it was Amazing and all of the sacrifices happened in the temple and the priests would come to the temple and if you recall last week, jesus walked into the temple and he essentially said All of this is empty This is barren. This is devoid of the presence of god. This is got foliage, but it's got no fruit This is a beautiful edifice, but it's empty and devoid of what it was intended to be and that was the, the present the place where God descended and, and uh, intersected with the earth um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this but every once in a while in life you meet someone who is not quite what they pretend to be You see them and you get one image of them and then you find out man. That's not at all who that person is my wife and I had a friend that was dating a guy who had this very together vibe to him this guy he had businesses uh, he, he lived out of state so if you listen to him he had businesses and he had cars and he had houses and everything was popping and everything was going and he went and, and visited our friend and uh he was going to change his flight to leave a little bit later and there was a 26 dollar transfer fee and as it turns out he didn't have the 26 dollars to make the transfer fee remember and we went, huh? And then as we started digging in a little deeper, we're like, oh, wait a second. All this is made up. Like this, this guy's businesses, this guy's cars, this guy's, I think mean, this is all made up. Now, he could have, it, it's not that he needed to be wealthy for our friend to like him, but that's how he presented himself. And so sometimes Jesus is saying, look, all this opulence, all this wealth, all of this foliage, if it doesn't present the real thing, then it's cursed. It's going to be cursed. Um, he says uh, to them, he says, Have faith in God, and if you have faith in God you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. This is a fantastic uh, verse, and there's a lot of discussion about it. So I went through a lot of um, um, I went through a lot of texts trying to unearth what this what this really means. Um, What's amazing about this is Jesus makes this proclamation. He says, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. What, he's saying this right in the, basically in the shadow of the temple. Okay. Um, brief history of the temple. The first temple was built by King Solomon back in 970 or so BC. Um, so a thousand years before Jesus, essentially. Then it was, a, it was sacked by the, by the Assyrians, by Egypt, by the Babylonians. Then the second temple was built about 515 BC. And that was built by uh, Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Jerusalem at that time. And went through ups and downs and all kinds of things happened. Um, And then in about 20 B.C., about 20 years before Jesus was born, uh, Herod the Great decided to restore the temple and expand the temple. Now, the temple was built on top of a, a, a mountain called Mount Moriah. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute, and I'll tell you why it was built there. But it was built on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the top of Mount Moriah, was not big enough to house the entire structure that Herod the Great saw envisioned for the temple. He wanted a thirty-five, he wanted Bush Stadium, essentially. He wanted a 35-acre building and temple courtyard up on top of this mountain. But there wasn't enough space on there for him to build it. So Herod literally moved mountains to build a platform. Large enough to house the temple He there was a quarry um, North of jerusalem, and they would they quarried out these massive stones Um, There's a picture you can see here of this is what some of the ruins and remains of where the temple was I don't know if you can see these some of the some of these are actually smaller than some of the structures some of the uh, blocks, but these are whole blocks that you can see, and I think you can sort of make them out in this picture he they quarried these some of them were up to a hundred tons there were uh, there were some that were um, believed to be up to six hundred tons uh, the hundred ton ones were about forty five feet wide, eleven feet tall, and about seven feet deep, seventeen feet deep I mean these were massive stones, and Herod had Hold these together uh, and built, rebuilt the side of the mountain and build a platform and put the temple on it. So Jesus is saying, he's using this build, the you know, move, remove the mountain uh, m- metaphor. He's saying that right where this had happened. So Jesus is turning to his guys and going, with faith, this mountain, you can say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. You can, you, when, when you have faith in God, and we're going to talk about faith and other things in a minute. But when you have faith in God, there is nothing that is impossible for you. Nothing impossible for those that have faith in God. Um, what does that mean to have faith in God? Now, here's where we get to what the why the temple was built there. The temple was built right on top of Mount Moriah because it was believed that that's where Abraham Had come to offer his son isaac as a sacrifice. I don't know if you remember this old passage, but um, there's a there's a story in the old testament and we'll go through it It's in genesis where where abraham who who was well up in years had no no children God's god kept promising him and his wife sarah. We're going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a child I'm going to give you a child and they They didn't believe it. They went another route and they uh He had a child with a concubine and then he anyway ended up having a child with sarah and this was his son isaac And it was his beloved son and at one point God said to abraham and this is a chilling passage and at some point we'll explore it deeper But god said to abraham. I want you to take your son Your only son isaac and I want you to take him to the top of the mountain and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me And abraham said I will do Whatever you ask of me and he, and in this story, which is there's a, a book by Soren Kierkegaard called fear and trembling where he tries to uh, Help us understand the intensity of this passage but but Abraham took his son up the mountain prepared the altar Prepared the you know got the wood got the fire Had the the knife to slay his son and god intervened and said you have demonstrated your faith There's a ram in the thicket You're going to go get that ram and you'll make that sacrifice to me. But you have demonstrated to me that you have absolute, total and complete faith in me. So when Jesus is saying, have faith in God, he's saying it in the shadow of Mount Moriah. He's referring to Abraham and Isaac. And he's not saying, you know, just have a mental affirmation about God. He's saying, have faith in God, total commitment, total conviction, complete, total and pure, um, Obedience to God give yourself to God and when you belong to God Nothing is impossible to you Nothing is is impossible to you Um, Sometimes we put our faith in things other than God Uh, So we're going to talk just for a minute about some of the inadequate objects of faith All of these things Some of these things are good to a degree Um, For example Faith in self you want you know, you want your children to have a sense of Faith and confidence and trust that they can do whatever it is that that they're trying to accomplish You want them to have faith in themselves But if your ultimate faith lies in your own abilities You will find over and over and over again that you will be disappointed Because you don't have what it takes. None of us do we all make mistakes. We all mess up Uh, And when we put our faith completely in ourselves and we disappoint ourselves, where is our faith? Where does it go? Um, There's a great story in Greek mythology that touches a little bit on this and I think I've talked about it before It's the story of Icarus. It's the story of of the Greek uh, mythical character who wanted to escape from Crete And so his father made uh, wings out of feathers and wax and strapped it on his back and taught him how to fly and he warned him don't fly too close to the sun, because if you fly too close to the sun, um, then the, the wax will melt. And Icarus puts on the wings and he flies out of Crete and he's flying through the sky and he's he's gets a little full of himself and he gets to feeling like this is I've got it. I've got this. And his dad is saying, don't fly too close to the sun. And he just keeps going and the wax melts. And it's a it's a Greek tragedy. He falls. He falls into the sea. So we have to be careful when we put our faith in something. It's all right to have some faith in ourselves and believe in ourselves. It's good. But to put our ultimate faith in ourselves will lead to this sort of pride and this hubris, and we know that pride comes before a fall. We know that we cannot maintain that sort of those heights when we try to rely upon ourselves. Um, faith in others. This is another one. Where you've got to have faith in other people you you ultimately to be in relationship with someone there has to be a degree of faith Okay, there has to be a degree of faith in that person but when you When your identity and when your commitment and when your your self-worth and everything is tied up in another person You will be disappointed You will be bitterly disappointed when you put your faith completely and wholly in someone else I've told this story once before and i'll just touch on it briefly, but um in 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 our old church in arizona there was a there was a guy that everyone believed in completely and totally this guy was a member of the board he was a member of the finance team he was a leader of the um oh that class uh yeah what is it toya financial peace university how many are glad to see toya here today (laughs) toya sorry sorry thank you toya Toya um, is back just visiting today But Toya was here for the first three months of the launch of this church from phoenix and we're so glad that she's here we love you Toya Um, so Yeah, so so everybody trusted this guy implicitly everybody trusted him Uh, He was basically like a a son to a lot of the the elderly folks in the church Um, And anyway long story. I trusted the guy I I put him down as a reference when I was applying for the missouri bar I said, you know what, call this guy because and in fact, I remember in one of our small group classes in Arizona, I remember referencing him and saying, "This guy is like the best Christian I've ever met in my life." Well, <laughs> you know where this is going, right? So it turns out that the guy was running a massive Ponzi scheme in the Phoenix Valley and literally stealing people's money and had been doing it for years. We'd known the guy for the guy for years and had been doing it for years. He's now, well, I so I called the Missouri bar when I was applying and I said, "Hey, um you remember that one reference that I had? Um, would you mind to scratch him off? I'm going to go ahead and put somebody else up there instead. And they go, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. What, what, what's, what's the reason? Well, he's in federal prison now for um, <laughs> running a Ponzi scheme. So anyway, um, we can't put our faith in other people. You know, I mean, we, we've, got to, we've got to trust people. We've got to, you know, but our ultimate faith has to be in God. Otherwise we will be I mean you cannot turn on the radio or the television without seeing another one of our leaders Whether it's a political leader or a sports figure or a religious leader messing up And so the problem is is that when when we put all of our trust or all of our faith in that person and that person falls Then where does our faith go? Where is it? It's broken. It's lost. It's wandering Okay, so we've got to be careful about not putting our faith in in others faith in things We all know folks like this, which is you get a sense of security by putting things around you, whether it's houses, cars, mortgages, um, and and it's good. It's good to have all of that, um, better than the alternative. But, uh, it's, it's, if we put our trust in the things that we have, then when things break down, we're bitterly disappointed. Right. And even when, even if they don't break down, I mean, if you are a person that is surrounded by things At the end of the day, what do you really have? If you have not built a relationship with other people If you have not built and established a deep abiding loving relationship with god What is it that you have at the end of the day? You have a bunch of objects sitting around you made of metal and You know as the as the bible says rust and moth will come and destroy those things. They're not eternal um and finally there's There's this is a fairly popular one faith and faith I remember the uh, this is gonna date me, but uh, was it the george michael song where you got to have faith? Yeah, um (laughs) In what in what george? (laughs) Um, You know a lot of times people say, you know if you just believe or if you just have faith and but but what is the object of your faith? I can have faith in my faith that when I walk off this platform, I'm actually going to f- levitate and float across the auditorium. Guess what? If I do that, it isn't going to happen. Um, we can't put our faith in our faith. Okay? And this is a, a mistake that Christians make, too. We put our faith in our faith. And we think if we can just generate and churn up enough faith, then we can get stuff done. It's not about that. It's about having our faith deeply in God. Um Faith in God, what what does this really mean? And and we talked a little bit about it. But let me tell you a couple things that it doesn't mean, okay? Faith in God doesn't mean that God is our private genie, that we can rub his belly and we'll get all of our wishes fulfilled. That's not faith in God, okay? Faith in God is not the notion that God is a vending machine. We plug in a prayer and we pull out a Bentley. That's not faith in God, okay? My wife likes that one. Uh, Faith in God means... You are shoving all in. You're putting your life in God's hands. You're committing yourself to God and what God is going to do. He's going to make sure that you get everything you need and that you're taken care of and he will provide for you. That's what faith in God is, is giving yourself to him. Being a, God is not a tool in our hands. We are a tool in God's hands. And when we are a tool in God's hands, there's nothing impossible for us because he is the one Working us. He's the one doing with us what he wants to do. Does that make sense? We are god's implement. We are god's Servants we're We're also his children, which means he wants to look out for our best interest He loves us. He wants to take care of us And he and and absolutely nothing is impossible to us when we are in his will when we are following his direction in fact, it's interesting because shortly after jesus teaches this passage He's in this almost the same garden in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to the father and he says and he's right before the crucifixion and he says father if it be your will let this cup pass from me uh, meaning please don't make me go through with the crucifixion if it be your will the cup is judgment God's judgment on, on and and he was saying if it be your will and he was sweating great drops of uh, uh, as of blood and he was deeply passionate about you know the the terror that he was about to undergo okay because remember this is what i love about jesus fully god fully man he's a man and he doesn't want to be crucified as a man and he's praying and he says but not my will but thine be done when we are pr- when we are in god's will so That just goes to show it's not just one of those things where you just plug it in and you get the answer. You pray and you put yourself in God's will and then all things are possible for you. Because, as you know, you know, it wasn't God's will for the cup to pass. It was God's will for Jesus to drink the cup. And by drinking the cup, he took on, as Rebecca said, he took on our sin. He took on our unrighteousness and then he took on our judgment. He took on our judgment and bore our judgment for us. Um, Jesus is about to when he's saying this he's about to send his disciples out into the world where they will meet all of almost all of them will meet their uh, Untimely demise nearly all of his apostles and disciples were martyred But what he's telling them is be be brave be bold be courageous Go out and do what i've commissioned you to do and I will be with you and they did and within a within a 200 years this faith in christ had spread around the globe essentially It's absolutely staggering when you look at the history of it um, how does jesus how does god perform what he wants to perform on earth? Sometimes he does intervene in these miraculous ways and it's amazing when he does And, and and when he does it's it's rare And that's why we call them miracles because they're unusual, right? If they happen all the time then they wouldn't be miracles. They would just be the status quo. But his normal way of of having his will accomplished on earth is through you and me. We are his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. Think about that image. We are the body of Christ. We are accomplishing on the earth what God wants to perform. This is how God, when, when people say, Well, where is God in the world? Where is God? Where is God during this, you know, tragic event? God is, God is here guys. It's us. God is working through us to accomplish his will on earth. And he asks, and that's why he commissions us. Our, our vision here is engaging minds, encouraging hearts. And number three, empowering hands. Ultimately, we want to be able to empower you and me and all of us to go out and do the work of God in our community. And nothing is impossible to us. We are, and he also says this again, right in front of the temple, knowing that the, that, that the indwelling power of God has vanished from that holy of holies and is now residing in him and will soon be residing in you and residing in me. You are the temple of God. And so he's saying to them, you are going to be God's dwelling place on earth. So you will be full of God. Go out and do what I command you. Faith in God informs you of your true identity. It emboldens you to act on your calling and it empowers you to achieve that which God has called you to do faith in God gives you the tools to go out and do what God has called you to do and nothing will be impossible for you. Um, okay, let's move down to 25. Does that, does that, do you understand that? Does that, does that hit home? Um, 25 and whenever you stand praying jesus says forgive If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses 26 has brackets around it. Some in some of your bibles it may uh, This verse may be omitted because it's not in all of the ancient manuscripts But it's essentially a reflection of the the prior verse, but it says but if you don't forgive neither will your father in heaven Forgive your wrongdoing. So this is strong language. Jesus is right after the have faith and everything is impossible. Everything is possible for you. Jesus is saying, Oh, by the way, if you're standing there praying for something and you're holding a grudge against somebody, you better go and forgive that person. And that way God can forgive you. You see, that's how it's going to work. Um, I read somewhere this week that, uh, holding a grudge is like letting someone live rent free inside of your head. Um, Have you ever anybody ever held a grudge? Yeah. Um, I have a friend that great, great guy, good friend. uh, And I may have told you about him before, but I I don't remember. Maybe it was before I needed to repent. Now I repented. So I'm going to tell it again. Um, I have a friend who uh, was before we launched this church eight months ago. We we talked we were I was talking to him about it. And in the course of the conversation, something that he said made me feel like he was not supportive of what we we're doing. Um, the conversation, there were a few things in the conversation. One of them was he said, you know, if, if you ever need to talk about stuff or bounce ideas off or, you know, talk to me about the process, feel free to do that. And then another thing he said was if, um, you know, if things don't work out, uh, you know don't worry we're 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 still here we're still your friends you know but the way he said the second part made me think he thinks this isn't going to work out he thinks this is a bad idea he thinks that this church is 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 not of god or whatever and you know maybe i was being a little overly sensitive okay uh but that's what i thought and that's what i took away from the situation and so from that point forward i never talked to him about the church because i didn't want I didn't want any of that what I perceived to be negative attitude about the church. I wasn't going to ask him, you know, his advice or anything, because in my mind, I'm thinking he doesn't even he's not even for this thing, you know, so our relationship, our friendship started to get a little bit. uh, What do you call it like tense? Thank you. It was tense. It was like I, you know, little remarks and things and it kind of built up and things were not cool and. You know there was a there was a wrinkle in the matrix as they say um, and I remember talking to one of our Trustees one of our overseers here at the church and I told him about my relation my friendship with this other guy And he said who he's a pastor and he said well look you got it. You got to go and talk to him You got to go and straighten this thing out. You guys are friends You're both good guys and you need to get this squared away and a while back a few weeks back, um uh, we were all hang- a big group of guys were hanging out, and he and I sort of stepped to the side and we and, and we said, "Hey, I go, hey, you know what? Let's 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 clear the air here, okay? Let's talk about this." And we started taking a walk down the street, and within five minutes, we had this thing cleared up. I told him, "I go, look, you know, the way you were talking about the church, I didn't feel like you were supportive. I didn't really think that you were da 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 da," and he was like. No, man, I'm completely supportive. He goes, I was I'm mad at you because you've never even talked to me or invited me into the conversation about the church. And I go, well, I never talked to you about the church because I thought you didn't believe in the church. And he's like, no, I believe in the church, but why didn't you tell? So anyway, it was like, oh, oh, okay. And within five minutes, we had cleared this up, and it was like a cloud lifted off our heads. Our friendship was intact, and everything is cool. You know. But I, I didn't realize it, but I was holding a grudge against this guy For a long time and it bugged me, you know, and within no time at all. I was like, well, I'm sorry, man I misunderstood you. He goes, I'm sorry, you know, I misunderstood you and you're forgiven. You're forgiven boom 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 And now we're good buddies and now I call him all the time and say hey What do you think about this about the church? So he's probably like getting a little bit too much of my um, But anyway, if you've ever held a grudge, there's something absolutely liberating about letting it go um the Mayo Clinic if you go on the Mayo Clinic's website now this is they they summarize and I'm not going to give you all the data but they summarize a lot of data that's been done on this 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 concept of forgiveness has entered into the world of social science and they've really really started exploring it this is from the Mayo Clinic's website forgiveness leads to it says healthier relationships greater psychological well-being less anxiety less stress less hostility lower blood pressure Fewer symptoms of depression and lower risk of alcohol and and substance abuse. This is on the Mayo Clinic's website. I mean, forgiveness, this spiritual truth that Jesus is saying, don't come and pray until you get forgiven those who have harmed you. These have real life applications. Um, How do we forgive? There's a I'm just going to give you a few steps and, and, and it's really straightforward, actually, but sometimes we need to. We just need our memory jogged. Number one is recognize your resentment. It, 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 it's important that you at some point do an internal assessment and go, am I holding a grudge against somebody? Because everybody in here has been wronged, okay? Everyone in here has been wronged at some point or another. Maybe a minor wrong. It may be a major wrong. It may be something trivial. Somebody looked at you the wrong way. It may be something incredibly deeply Personal and traumatic as uh, some sort of abuse or something like that I mean it can be it can be incredibly intense or it could be something like it's important though to To recognize whatever it is that you're holding as a result of that Okay, if you're holding resentment if you're holding a grudge recognize that reflect on the effects of your resentment Both positive and negative. How is this affecting your well-being? How is this affecting your relationship? How is this affecting your relationships with other people? Because sometimes if we have a resentment against one person, it comes out in our relationship with somebody else. Have you ever noticed that? You know, you get mad at somebody at work and suddenly, you know, you're, you're snide, snide with your wife. Is it snide? Um, snippy? Well, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, if, you're holding, if you're holding that in, how is that affecting your life? And then is, it, is there any positive effect to holding a grudge? What's the, what's the upside? for you. What's the upside? Yeah. I mean, you may feel like you're protecting yourself from harm, but you're, you're damn you're damaging yourself worse and worse by holding on to this grudge. Okay. There are some of the commentaries I read said, look, God doesn't forgive us until we repent. Therefore you shouldn't forgive someone unless they ask forgiveness. And I thought, I don't, I don't buy that because what if the person who wronged you is dead? What if they've, what if they've passed away? Are you going to hold on to that grudge for eternity? Because they're never going to come back and say, Hey man, I want you to know, I'm really sorry. They're not going to do that. All right. So it doesn't matter if the person has asked forgiveness, wants forgiveness, changed their conduct, changed their behavior or not. It's incumbent upon you to forgive them. Now it doesn't mean that you got to go and be their best friend. It doesn't mean that you have to open yourself up to the same abuse that you suffered at their hands in a prior time. Okay. You can use wisdom and you can use discretion, but you can let go of the resentment that you've held against them. Uh, number three, consider God's forgiveness for you. When we really reflect on what we've done and how much God has forgiven us and what God has done in our lives and the transformation that has happened in our lives and how we don't always get, well, thank God we don't always get what we deserve. If you, if you think you always get what you deserve, ask yourself how many times you've, you've gotten a traffic ticket versus how many times you've sped. Okay, for my wife, it's one-to-one because she gets no i'm just kidding No, but I mean if you you know, I remember an officer telling me that one time He's like I was trying to talk myself out of a ticket and usually i'm fairly good at that actually um I'm gonna put on a clinic about how to do that at some point, but but I was trying to talk him out of it and he goes look He goes I you know, you were speeding, you know, you were speeding and i'm giving you the ticket But think about this how many times have you been speeding and haven't got a ticket i'm like Yeah, you kind of got me there. Okay. Um, Think about, and that's a trivial example, but think about what God has forgiven you already in your own life. And then think about whether or not you can forgive someone else. Okay. And then number four is finally let it go. At some point, you just let it go and move on. You just let it go. You got to just say, look, I'm never going to resolve this. The relationship may be, that, that relationship with that person may be completely, totally irrep- irreparable. But I'm not going to let the person live in my head rent-free. I'm going to let them go and I'm going to move on, right? So Jesus says, forgive. All right, verse 27. And they came to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? What, are, what they're talking about, remember, in last, last Sunday is when he came into the temple, he came into the holiest place in Jerusalem on the holiest day. It, what, what, you, what is the most important building in our country? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the White House or the Capitol or the Supreme Court building or whatever. I don't know what it is. But think of the most important building in our country. And then amplify that like 20 fold because that's what the temple was to the Jews It was the central place in all of Jerusalem There were hundreds of thousands of people descending pilgrims coming from all over the world to Jerusalem to worship on Passover And what did Jesus do? He walks in and he just starts tearing the place up. If you remember from last week, he throws the carts over. He's running the, the, the people who sell the, the little doves, the turtle doves and the pigeons. You may ask yourself, why is he mad at those people? Because, because the, the Bible made provision for, for poor people. If you couldn't afford a, a, a sheep, you could buy pigeons or you could buy a turtle dove and you could make your sacrifice that way because it was not as expensive. And these guys were ripping off the poor people. That made jesus very angry He goes in and we talked about this last week and they weren't they weren't worshiping and it wasn't a house of prayer But anyway, he tore it up. Okay And the scribes and the pharisees the religious elite come to him and they say by what authority are you trashing our temple? Um And who gave uh, uh, sorry? uh, sorry, charles. Can you back up just one second? And by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? Okay Jesus said to them I will ask you one question answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things So jesus says i'm going to answer you as soon as you answer my question Okay, and he says have you ever done that? Like sometimes somebody comes to you with a question and you actually want to know Why are you asking that question? I'll, I may answer I may not answer but I want to know why you're asking me that. I want to know the heart or the intent and this happens I get this sometimes where people will ask me something. and I go, well, are you asking for yourself? Are you asking for like a doctrinal answer? Are you asking, is this a personal question? Are you asking on behalf of somebody else? Are you trying to load up on ammunition to, to say something to, you know, to, to annihilate, you know, theologically your friend? Uh, do you want, you know, like, why are you asking the question? Jesus knows why these guys are asking the question and it's not out of the sincerity of their heart. He's not they're not asking because they want to know his authority They're asking because they're trying to find ways to trap him into saying things that they can use before Pilate in the next week to have him crucified So they keep coming to him and asking questions and trying to trap him so that they can have something to say when they come to Pilate and they say He said x y or z and that's why you should be crucified. So they're asking him by whose authority? Then Jesus does something that I absolutely love here, absolutely brilliant. He says, "Let me ask you a question." And here's my question for you: Was the baptism of John remember John the Baptist? We talked about him when we very first started. That's Jesus's cousin. He was a prophet. He ran around with camel hair, ate locusts, wild man out in the desert, and he called out Herod for um, stealing his his brother's wife, and he got beheaded. And it's a long story, but anyway, he was a he was a prophet, and and Jesus knew he was a prophet. And he knew that the the Pharisees, scribes, and, and elders didn't believe in John the Baptist. So he says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they got in a little circle and discussed among themselves and said to one another. Notice they don't say, hey, what's the answer to this? They don't say that. They say, if we say John's from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him and if we say John's from man not from heaven Then the people are going to rebel They were afraid of the people for all of the people held that john really was a prophet I I love how the 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 elders and the scribes and the pharisees They're not actually looking to answer the question They're look they're not the truth of the, the the question They're looking to answer a question that will Not get them in trouble with the people and not make them look foolish in front of Jesus, right? Um, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. <laughs> Very political. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus knew that they had no sincerity in their question. He was not going to answer their question. He was not going to give them ammunition for them to take before Pilate and have him crucified. He knew that their hearts were so corrupt that they couldn't even candidly answer a question. They had to find an answer that would keep them out of trouble with the people and not make them look foolish. But they couldn't, it didn't occur to them even once to say, hmm, what do I believe about John the Baptist? They just they just didn't have that in them. They had they had sold out so long ago that they couldn't even bring it to, you know, they couldn't even bring up from themselves a genuine, sincere answer. Jesus Wants to know our hearts Jesus doesn't want God doesn't want us to hem and haw And to be foliage without fruit He doesn't want us to pretend to be something we're not He doesn't want us to give him the right answer Like the little kid in sunday school You know the little kid i've said this before The little kid in sunday school when he's asked What lives in a tree and eats acorns and has a long tail and the kid says Sounds like a squirrel, but i'm going to go with jesus Um, He doesn't want the right answer he wants. Thank you. He wants uh, He wants our hearts. He wants us to be open and honest and sincere with him Isn't it refreshing when somebody comes in and tells the truth Into a difficult situation a truth speaker. They come in and they say Here's the truth of the situation. I don't mean, you know someone that's rude But someone that comes in and says here's here's the truth It's absolutely and completely refreshing. If you are a person that has doubts about God, about who God is, about what God is doing in your life, about how God works, how your faith works, do you have faith? Do you have enough of faith, enough faith? Who are you in God? Is God even listening to me? I mean, all, if you have these questions come to God with these questions, you don't have to hide these questions. A lot of us, you know, especially if you grew up in a religious environment, you sort of dust stuff under the rug. God doesn't want that. God wants you to be able to come and openly ask questions and to be available and have an open, pure. That's why he says, if you want to come to me, you got to come like a little child. You got to come like a little child. You just walk in and say, I need you, God. Help me. I don't understand this. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I have faith in you. I want faith in you. I need faith in you. Help me, God. Just open up your heart to him. Open up your heart to him and see if you're genuine and honest and open. See what transforms in your life. I remember one of my very first prayers, one of my very first prayers when I was becoming a Christian, before I become a Christian, started like this. God, if you are real, please listen to me. And if you're not, then I'm just talking in an empty room. No big deal. No harm done. Just me in the bathroom of my apartment talking to no one. No problem. But over the course of that prayer and other prayers and reading and learning and growing, my heart did open to God and God made himself known to me. Not lightning, not thunder, not bolts, not chariots of fire from heaven. But God opened up my heart and gradually made himself known to me. I want to encourage you today, and I'm going to close with this. Put your faith in the almighty creator of God. And The almighty creator of the universe Become an implement become a tool in god's hands And when you do that when you put your faith in god Nothing shall be impossible to you Now that's a deep deep thing and we can chew on that for the next 20 years and we will But when we put our faith in god when we give ourselves over to god Nothing is impossible for us number two if you're nursing a grudge today if you've got some Built up resentment some pain some scar some some something that hurts you From some harm that someone has done to you You don't have to diminish or belittle the harm that they did you don't you don't even have to dismiss it You can remember it. You can think about it, but forgive that person Let that person let the resentment go And and god will forgive you and there'll be an abundance that can open up in your own life and finally Open your heart to God be honest with him Be honest with God pour out your thoughts pour out your fears pour out your doubts pour out your concerns We have life groups. We have people that you can talk to we I mean if you need Counseling or help going through some of this we have people that can help help in those areas But but really don't be afraid don't hold back like really give yourself give yourself to God and see what happens because over the last two thousand years, his power has been absolutely transformative in the lives of his followers. And I I, 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 you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself and say that my life has been completely, totally, and completely transformed by his love for me. And those of you, some of you, have known me all my life. You know this. You know this. Um, I, I said to Don Moses. Don and I went to high school together. And I said to Don Moses at the picnic the other day, how many were at the picnic? Was that awesome or what? That was fantastic. I said to Don at the picnic the other day, we went to high school together. I go, would you have imagined this? She's like, no, no. God changes lives. God transforms people's hearts. So open your heart to him. You're in a place where you won't be judged for trying to understand better who God is, who you are, and how you should relate to God. He knows your heart. He wants what is best for you. Trust him with your life and you will be eternally glad. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you.